all have a good evening last night, a good night's sleep and all that? Got a nap, huh? Well, that's good. Thank you all to do that. I want to talk to you today about guarding your heart. And in order to do that, I need to give you a little bit of background. <clears throat> you know, there's basically two views of how we got on this earth. And one is a Darwin evolutionist view. And uh, many people think that's a scientific view. It's not a scientific view. It's a scientism view. And there's a difference between science and scientism. Science is that which you can actually prove. Uh, scientism is when people begin to philosophize about uh, what happened back then and about science. I read about a college student. <clears throat> he was a senior, and he got him a job at the local museum. And people would come through, and he was telling them about all these uh, things about the museum. And he was explaining about the, when the world began. And he said 3 billion, 200 million, uh, four, uh, three years, three and a half years ago is when the earth came into existence. He said, somebody said to him, so... Three billion, two hundred million, three and a half years ago? And he said, yeah. I said, I got here three and a half years ago, and they told me it was three billion, two hundred million, so <clears throat> he had figured it out, how old the earth was. Now, no one was here when it started, and all the projections about everything and, uh, is pure speculation. Now, if you take the Darwinist view, we all got here just as a result of time and chance. And that's basically the way they got here. Now, a college student one day was walking across the campus with his professor. And his professor said, can you prove there is a God? And he said, yes, I can prove there's a God. He said, you see this building. Now, look at this building. See these beams? Somebody designed this building. Those beams didn't just happen to be there. This building had an architect, and it had a building. You look at these chairs. These chairs didn't just happen. Somebody designed these chairs, and probably some several people helped to build them. Have you ever seen a, a beautiful painting? I guarantee you that painting had an artist. It didn't just one day happen and the heat was just right and the temperature was just right and these beams just jumped into place. It didn't happen over a period of time. Let's suppose Neil and I are going out here walking on a trail and uh, we reach down, I see this watch and I reach down, I pick it up and I say, uh, Neil, look at this. Look at this watch. And he says, yeah, I wonder who made it. And I said, nobody made it. The hemp temperature was just right, and the heat was just right, and it just came into being. Now, none of you would believe that. And yet Psalms 139, verse 13 says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're far more wonderfully made than this watch. This watch had a designer you have a creator. Now, in the very beginning, God made it very clear in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on to explain how in six days he created us. He, create, he created Adam and Eve, a man and a woman. And that's not, that's not just a fairy tale, a nice way of trying to explain something. But there really was an Adam because later Jesus mentions Adam. Paul mentions Adam. There was a real man and a real woman named Adam and Eve. And God created them different than the animals. That's why it's okay to eat a cow, okay? Because God did not make a cow with a spirit. He made us, and in Genesis 9, 3, God says, just as I gave 
Uh, he said, I give every moving thing as food to you as I gave the green plants. So we are different than the animals. We were the ones that have created the image of God, and we're to rule over the animal kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean we need to be cruel because the Bible very clearly says that a good man uh, takes care or regards with compassion his, his beast or his animal. So, yeah, we're to rule over this world. And it's great that we try to take care of the world in which God gave us. But we are different than all of the animals because we were created in the image of God. Now, you need to understand what happened because we're going to talk eventually about your heart, my heart, and how as Christians we protect it. Now, when I say the heart, the Bible uses the word heart, and it has to do with the mind, but it's more than just your mind. It also has to do with your will and that which you do as a result of what you think, okay? And God created an Adam and Eve, and he put them in a garden, and he said, you can eat of any tree of the garden except one. And that's the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. God did not want us messing around with evil. And so one day Satan came in the form of a serpent. And this also is a true story. It's not some fictional way. God tried to tell us something. There was a real creature. And we know who that was. That was Satan in the form of a serpent. Satan had been kicked out of heaven because he had rebelled against God. And Daniel tells us that he was kicked out of heaven and some of his angels and those were the demons. And they're at work in this world. Satan is at work in this world today. And if you know, if you look around the world, you know something is not as it should be. Because we see school shootings. We see people being killed. We know murders. We know things. Last night, somebody got murdered somewhere, I can assure you. Something is wrong in this world. And God put Adam and Eve and said, I don't want you to have anything to do with evil. And Satan came along and said, now has God, and as always as Satan is trying to tempt us to think God is holding back something good from you. And that's one of the things you always have to watch out about the temptation of Satan. Because he's going, well, God, you're not going to provide this for me, or you really wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do, or marry who I wanted to marry, and all this type of thing. And Romans 8.32 said, he that shall not, will not he that uh, provided his son also freely give you all things? God is not going to hold back that which is best for you. So he put Adam and Eve in this garden, and Satan came along and said to well, did God say you couldn't eat of all the trees? And they said, well, we can't eat of this one. And he said, oh, if you eat of that tree, you'd become like God. Now, God had said, do not eat of the tree. And Satan said, eat of it. Now they had a decision to make. Who would they trust and who would they believe? So <clears throat> they took Satan's position and they ate of the fruit. And as a result of that, God sent them out of the garden so that they could not come back in and eat of the tree of eternal life. Because now they were sinners that rebelled against God. And when God takes us to heaven, there's not going to be any sin there. And they could not enter heaven as long as they were in that condition. Now, you think, well, that, that's a simple disobedience. And yet it shows, too, to a degree how serious disobedience is. They disobeyed in Romans 5, 12, says, For as by one man's disobedience, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, because all men have sinned. And so when Adam sinned, sin entered into this world, and it passed on down to us. Adam was born in the image of God, we were created in the image of God, but when we're born in this world, we're born in the image of, of Adam because now we are sinners. That's why when Jesus was born, he could not have an earthly father because he would, not, he would have had a sin nature. And he was God and he came to this earth and he did not have an earthly physical father. Now, we know Joseph raised him 
but he was con Mary was conceived. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit because he did not have a sin nature. He's sinless. Now, Roman, now let me just explain to you a little bit how this has affected you. In Mark 7, 21 through 23, it says, From within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts. Okay? You know where evil thoughts come from? It's not just from your culture. Your culture may have some influence, but the evil thoughts come from within your own heart, and we all have them. For within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, which is just unbridled lust, lasciviousness, an evil eye, pride, blasphemy, foolishness. All of these things come from within and defile the man. Now, we see this all the time. Someone murders or they go into the school and they shoot a bunch of people. And you know what you always see in the paper? What was the motive? The other day, a, a kid in Oklahoma killed his parents. They want to know, well, what was his motive? Now, there may have been something that triggered that, but you know where that murder came from? It came from his own heart because we have a wicked heart. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, a heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so the world, as we see it today, is not as what God had intended. Something is desperately wrong in the world and it's, it's due to sin. It's due to our hearts. And our hearts have to be changed. Now, we looked at, we mentioned Romans 5.12, how that by one man's sin came into the world. And then in verse 19, it said, by the disobedience of one, the many, that is all of us, were made sinners by the disobedience of Adam. But by the obedience, the obedience of one, we will all be made righteous. That one is Jesus Christ. And so God saw our condition. He continued to love us. And even though we've rebelled and we've all sinned against him and no one is innocent, we see from Romans 1 that, they, that we're all without excuse. And, and God made that very clear because men have sinned. And as a result of it, God's revealed himself and and basically, God reveals himself in three ways. He reveals himself through what we see. And, and Romans 1 points that out. <clears throat> His eternal power and everything is clearly seen by the things which are made. I mean, here can be a person in the jungles of Africa, and he sees a monkey swinging through the trees, and he knows something made that monkey. And yet he doesn't fall down and worship the God who made the monkey. Or here's a tree and it grows and he doesn't worship the God who made the tree, but he'll break a limb off of that tree. And the Bible says he will, he will take some of that limb and make a fire to cook his food. And some of the limb he'll make a fire to warm himself. And with some of that limb, he will carve an image and, and worship it. So all men everywhere, wherever they are, are sinners and are without excuse because God has revealed himself in creation. You know, a girl, I read of a girl and she lived in, in Russia and she'd go to class and day after day, the professors would tell her, there is no God, there is no God, there is no God. And she thought, well, why are they always emphasizing that? And she goes out and looks at the beautiful earth and all that and said, you know, you're going to have to do away with all this creation if you're going to make me believe there's not a God. And she knew there was a God. And I read of a little boy, his, his mom was a Buddhist, and she would go in and worship this big, fat, stone Buddha. And she had leaned on him. He was 12 years old at the time, and he looked at that Buddha and he thought, you know, that's not God. And something within him realized that is not God. There's one true God. 
So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And the only way our heart can be changed is as a result of believing in Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, <clears throat> let's see, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. For Okay, we're a new creation, and it's only through Christ Jesus, right? All right, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And so we need to be created anew, and that happens when we believe in Jesus Christ. Now, <laughs> once that happens, we know that we no longer have to live like we once did. And Romans 6, 6, and Long in there points out that this body has sin. One translation said it's been destroyed. It doesn't mean destroyed in a way you take a bomb and blow something up. But like, for example, once you become a Christian, you no longer have to sin. You're not under control of sin. But it's kind of like if, if someone, <clears throat> I read one time in the book, illustrating it. If, let's suppose we uh, fastened a motor up here on this ceiling and we had a flip over here, flip switch, and we could flip that motor on. And it had a belt, and down here it ran a piece of machinery. And you flip that switch, and that motor starts, and as a result of the belt, it runs a machinery. Now, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he didn't destroy, he didn't destroy the old nature. He simply took the belt off. You can put that belt back on anytime you want to. You can choose to sin, but you don't have to sin. Now, as a result of that, we need to guard our hearts and not go back to living like we once did. And let me share some areas with you and some things here that I think we need to do. One thing, we need our thinking changed. When we were non-Christians, we thought a certain way. Maybe we believe things that we later find out are not true. And Jesus said to a group of men on more than one occasion, he said, you have heard it said so-and-so, but I say to you, Jesus was always working at their thinking. And so our thinking is very, very important. That's why we need to be into the Word of God because now when you become a Christian, you receive a new spirit but you do not receive a new mind. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to live within you through his Holy Spirit. But you do not get a new mind. And that's why Romans 12, 2 says, you need to, renew, you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay? How do we renew our mind? One of the things... We began to read the Word of God, and we began to retrain our mind. Now, one time, I thought it was okay to do a certain thing. Like one day, a, a, a girl came into my office, and she said, uh, my boyfriend wants me to sleep with him. And she said, I don't know what to tell him. And I said, well, I know what to tell him. <laughs> you think he'd meet with me? And she said, yes. So I explained to him very clearly why he shouldn't sleep with his girlfriend. And he said, okay. And I began to explore about his religious background. And I said, uh, by the way, what's your church background? And he said, what do you mean? I said, I mean, if you went to church, what kind of church would it be? Would it be Methodist, Baptist? He said, I don't know. I said, you ever been to church in your whole life? And he said, one time that wasn't for a funeral or a wedding. And I explained to him what God said, and that was fine. He, he led, him, I led him to the Lord that day, and he became a follower of Jesus. But he didn't know. He just thought, well, that's what you do. He needed his mind renewed, and I tried to help him that day get his mind renewed. And so one of the things we do, we go to the Scriptures, because one time we thought a certain way, and that's not in the way God wants us to think. That's why it's so important for you to read the Bible. I hope you read the Bible as much as you possibly can. Now, maybe one day you're coming in from class and that thought comes, 
I'm going to go into my room before I start studying and read the Bible. And you say, oh, no, I never read the Bible at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. No, you're quenching the spirit. Read the Bible as much as you possibly can. You know, I found this my senior year in college. I wish I'd discovered it earlier. I never started studying at night ever, but what first I read the Bible because I wanted to be sure everything was right between me and God. And you know, sometimes you've set aside three hours to study and you hadn't gotten three hours worth of studying done because you've neglected your time with the Lord. And so I just found that First of all, I'd go and I'd spend some time with the Lord and I'd read and maybe it'd be 10 minutes or maybe I was having a great time and it might turn out to be an hour. And then I'd say, God, I got to study this chemistry. I don't know much about it, but you know all about it. So now help me and then really get after it. See, read the Bible as much as you can because of so many of our thoughts are foreign to what God has in mind. And that helps us to renew our mind. That's why scripture memory is so important. Memorizing verses so that they're always in your mind. So anytime the Lord wants to remind you of that to use in your life or anyone else's life, it is, it's available to you. So I would highly recommend you do that. You know, the little booklet over here on scripture memory, I began to think one day, why do I memorize verses? <clears throat> and I jot down the reason. And then over a period of time, I'd jot down another reason. And I'd think, well, now I memorized verses because of this reason. And one morning, about 2.30, I woke up and I thought, oh, here's another reason. And I got out and wrote it down, and then there were 30 of them. I didn't plan there to be 30 reasons. But I thought now, you know, I think you could take that little booklet and read one reason a day for a month, and I think it'd strengthen your scripture memory. Or you could take 30 weeks and memorize one verse out of each, each section. But renew your mind. Your thinking has to be changed. And so that's what's so important. Now, let me list some areas. One thing is so important to God is sexual purity. You see that Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And so that's one of the areas where Satan will try to mess you up is in, an, is in that area. Sexual purity is very important. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, this is a, the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. Proverbs uh, 6, 20, 27 through 29, can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be burned? Well, I answered very obviously no. And so he's talking about you don't go in to another man's wife. You don't have relationships or a, a single girl. And so then it goes in, in Proverbs 6, 32 and 33. He who commits adultery is a man who will destroy himself. And his reproach will never be blotted out. And so you want to be careful in this area to be sure God designed sex for marriage, for a marriage relationship, for children, and for the pleasure of that couple. But it's always to be in the safeguards of marriage. Okay? And guys, one of the things I'd say... A girl ought to always know with you, she's always safe. When you begin to date a girl, you would never do anything under any situation that she would go in from a date with you and feel guilty because what, what had happened. And so watch out because that's one of the ways Satan will try to destroy you. Another big area in which Satan will try to get to you is through the love of money. Now, most of you are in college, so you don't have much, right? I got a verse for you, you poor people. Psalms, <laughs> Psalm 62.10, if riches increase, now that's assuming you don't have any, okay? If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Now, God is wonderful to provide for us, and God has promised to provide for us. 
And normally God does that through work. That's not the only way God can provide. But money is one of the ways that Satan often gets to people. And in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay? Godliness with contentment is great gain. We want our lives to be set on godliness and not money. And he goes on to say that, But those that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many uh, lust that drown men in destruction and perdition. So you don't want to set your heart on it. If God gives you money, and by the way, some of you will have tremendous ability to make money, and I hope you will. You know, if you, would you rather be a person who loved Jesus with all your heart and had $100 in the bank, or be a person that loved Jesus with all your heart and had $1,000 in the bank? I'd rather have $1,000 in the bank because money is a resource. And, and God wants to provide for us for what we need and to be able to help other people, to be able to give. And you find in the Bible that giving is a very, very important thing with God, that we want to be able to give. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rough corrupts and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where no thieves come near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we want to work. We want to do honest work. You know, the Bible says five things about money, okay? It talks about earning money. What do we know about earning? Well, we know we ought to do uh, work. Like, for example, if I'm without a job, I will not be selling liquor in the liquor store because I don't believe in that, okay? So we want to work, and we want to work hard. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. You ought to be a very good employee wherever you work. If the boss, you've made a deal with him, and he says, if you will work, and let's suppose he says eight hours a day or whatever for this month, I will give you this much money. Well, then you work. Now, my dad was a carpenter, and I used to work with him some when I was in school, <clears throat> grade school, and along in there in high school, and uh, we'd go to work. I'd work on Saturday, and dad would say, now, son, my dad worked by the hour, and he said, these people are not paying us to unload our tools, okay? So if we're going to go to work at 8, we're going to get there early. We're going to unload our tools, and at 8 o'clock, we're going to be working. And you know, these people aren't paying us to load up our tools. So we're going to work till 5 o'clock, and then we'll load up our tools. And he said this. He said, son, it never pays to chisel on another man's time. And, you know, my dad, when a lot of carpenters didn't have work, he'd have people, I remember a man coming to the house and said, I want you to, I want you to, my wife wants you to redo the kitchen. My dad said, man, I can't get to that for three months. He said, that's fine, we'll just wait. Nobody else is coming into our house but you to do that job because of his integrity. And so we worked. So the Bible talks about work. It talks about spending. Now, what do you know about spending? Well, we, we know that pretty well, don't we? <laughs> But we need to be wise about our spending. Do you know I, I read not long ago that in a, in a church today, every time someone 50 years of age or older dies, it takes three young families to replace their giving because so many people today, they eat out so much, they're pay making payments on two cars, you know, they're making house payments. They're doing all kinds of things because they're not nearly as wise with their money. Be careful with your spending. You know, it's a good thing if you're going to buy something and you see it in the store and you want it, why don't you pray about it a day or two before you go back and buy it? Learn to buy at certain seasons. 
you know, this, this particular shirt. I'll just use the illustration. Another day, I go into <clears throat> I, I'm, I go into Dillard's and they have their 40% off sale. And it's just a $63 shirt. Or, so I, I look at it. And, and then if you use their card, you get another 40% off. I don't want to use their card, so we stood right there not long ago and just applied for the card right there and did it, and then we throw it away. And so I think it costs, you know, $63, and eventually with a sale on it, I pay less than $10 for it. And so you learn to do that because you know what excites me every year about income tax? The only thing that excites me <laughs> is seeing what we've been able to give. Now, the Bible talks about <clears throat> earning. It talks about spending. <coughs> it talks about saving. Okay? <clears throat> you know, the, the rich... Uh, I didn't bring my water. Excuse me. <clears throat> the rich... Uh, uh, you remember the story of uh, the man who's going along one day and he finds a man all beat up and he takes him to the inn and he pays the innkeeper and says, take care of this man. And when I come, if I haven't given you enough money, I'll give you some more money. But you take care of him. He couldn't have done that if he hadn't saved some money. And so saving is important. You know, years ago, Sandra and I decided we're going to give more money to Jesus every Christmas than we do Everybody else combined. So we started giving, saving and giving $1,000 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And, uh, you know, Lottie Moon was a lady that was in love with a guy at one time, and she felt like God called her to the mission field, and he wasn't willing to go and do those things. She went as a single person. Do you know in 2016, I haven't seen the latest for last year, but you know, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering named in her honor was $153 million that the churches had given. Every penny of that goes overseas to the mission field. So I remember when, before Sanders' dad died, he didn't have a big estate. And <clears throat> we used, we told him one time about we were doing that for Christmas and he decided he wanted to start giving $1,000 every Christmas. And then he, would, he wanted to help a kid go on spring break trip. Every year, their kids, you probably, some of you may be in that situation. You didn't have the money to come on a retreat, but somebody helped you. So every year, we would go to Glen Erie, and so he started paying a student's way. So before he died, we said to him, we don't need this money. Why don't you set that aside? Let's put it out at interest, and you can be... Every year, you can still give $1,000 to Lottie Moon, and every year, you can still send a kid to Glen Erie. He's been dead for 19 years, and every year, he's given $1,000. And Revelation 14, 13 talks about when we get to heaven, their works do follow them. I think he's still getting rewards for what he's done after he died. <laughs> and so the Bible talks about earning money, spending money, saving money, and giving money, okay? Now, <clears throat> investing. Let me, let me stop. Another one was investing. Some of you will make money, and you ought to start wisely thinking, how can I multiply it? I'm going to give some to the Lord, but how can I take some money and maybe invest it and do something so that I'll be able to give more or have what I need? You know, some of you, by the time you're 50 years of age, you could go to the mission field and spend the rest of your life and pay for it yourself. If you would just be wise from your earliest day, and some of you, you know while you're in college, maybe you don't have much as far as clothes and things. Well, when you get out, you don't have to change everything. And by the way, you don't have to have a Spitfire 8 car, you know? I know one time after our baby was born, I didn't want to leave Sandra home without a car. We didn't have a lot of money for a car. So we prayed, and I looked around, and I <clears throat> looked for some time, and I found a, a man that liked to take old cars and paint them and fix them up, and he had an old Plymouth he'd sell for $400. He said, now, don't ever drive it over 45 because it won't make it. 
And I looked between my house and the BSU and my house and church and my house and the grocery store, and there's no place was at 45 miles an hour. And so we bought it and drove it for a while and meantime saved money. One day I'm on work, way to work, and it dies, and I just walk on to work and call the junk people to haul it off. But meantime, we've saved money. You can have one good car to go out of town, and if the other one you just need drive a little ways to work, you don't have to have a fancy car. I'm not talking about something that looks bad. I'm just talking about the fact that you can have the transportation you need. Be wise in investing, and then you can give. A lot of people today, they hear of needs and they love to give, but they can't because they haven't been wise with their money. Now, one of the things, don't ever set your heart on it. And even if you've got it in saving, it's always with an open hand. Lord, it's yours. Guard your heart against the love of money. Okay? Money is to use. It's not to love. <clears throat> now, we've talked about your thinking. We've talked a little bit about sexual purity. we talked some about money and guarding your heart against that. I want to come to a, another thing more about your thought life. And guys especially... This could be a problem with you, and this also can be a problem with girls, but it's in the area of pornography. And I, I know it's a giant deal with some people. I want to give you some verses, and I want you to think about this. You know, John 3.19 says, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And you know, guys, if, if some of you are into pornography, you wouldn't bring your computer in here into this service and open it up and look at it, would you? Why? Why? Because other people would see you, right? You're more concerned about what other people see than what God sees. That's a wrong focus. Let me tell you, and sometimes you get in a dark place. Let me tell you, you don't hide from God. Psalms 139, 12, verse 12. Psalms 139, verse 12. Even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. Now, when does a lot of the thievery and murders and stuff like that go on in the dark. Why? Because they don't want somebody to see them. So a lot of the stealing and things where people will break into people's homes at night when they think they're gone or things like that. Why? Because they don't want anybody to see them. That doesn't work with God. Or you go with your computer and you hide, you get alone where nobody's around. You need to know Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? That's Jeremiah 23, 24. Can you hide where God doesn't see you? No. Psalms 94, 9. He who formed the ear, or he who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? You think God doesn't see? Psalms, or Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Proverbs 5, 21. The ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths. So memorize some of those verses. And when you're tempted, think of that. God sees what I'm about to do very, very clearly. And I know some people get into that and they're so engrossed in it. And I know it's very addictive, but guys, I just don't believe that you're into anything or whatever's in your life that with the power of God that that cannot be broken. And it may be you need some accountability that will help. But you know, you cannot have enough accountability with another person. I know of a guy that met with 
fellows, and they met every week, and they'd always ask, are you being faithful to your wife? Are you staying away? And he lied every week for two years to that group. Accountability is good, but the greatest accountability is that they're ever seeing eye of God. I was traveling one time in the Orient by myself. I don't recommend that, but I was in a motel one night in Hong Kong, and there on the table was a beautiful book. I was curious. I opened it up, and here's a picture of a beautiful woman. She was clad, but a very beautiful woman. And here was a phone number. And you just call that number, and she comes up to your room. Now, this is way before cell phones and all that. Nobody in the earth knows where I am that night, but a few people who pray. And my wife, who has a schedule that I'm in somewhere in Hong Kong that night, and I'm flying out the next day to go to Holland. There's nobody can keep me accountable at night. But when I saw that, I knew God saw. So I close that book. I go over and spend some time praying, and I never open that book again. It's the ever-seeing eye of God, always watching, always knowing, that can help you guard your heart. And Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. You know, Proverbs 4.23 mentions that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Okay? And so you've got to guard your heart. Be careful. And, and you make some decisions in the light of what, not only for yourself, but for other people. Now, Proverbs, uh, or no, 1 Thessalonians 1.5 Paul talks about, he says, you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake? What kind of men we were among you for your sake? He's calling attention to the quality of his life, but he says, I did some of this for your sake. Now, let me just share one application with you, and some of you won't like this, but that's okay. It's my application, and you can think about it for your own life. And that's concerning alcohol. I decided I have never in my lifetime seen anything good come from alcohol. I know a lot of lives that have been destroyed by it. So I have made the decision that I will not drink alcohol. And I have some good basis for it. Roman, uh, uh, Romans 14, 21 says, It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. Now, I may could have a glass of wine with a meal and it may not affect me. But I believe somebody else may see me doing that and think, well, Max Barnett drinks, it's okay to drink. You know, let me assure you, no freshman entered a university in any school in America this fall with the idea, I want to become an alcoholic. But you know, by spring, some will be because they'll take a drink of beer, they'll take a drink of wine, they'll take a drink of liquor, and it, maybe at first they can leave it, but the day comes and they, they have a hard time leaving it. And they mess up their life and someone else's life. You say, well, yeah, but as a Christian, we have freedom. That's right, you have freedom. And in Galatians uh, 6, 3 says that you do have freedom. For we were called to freedom, brother, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh but through love, serve one another. So I'm not going to take the freedom I have and turn it in to an occasion for the flesh. And you know, I can't look at any one of you. I wish I could. I wish I could look at your name is Ian. Ian. I wish I could look at Aaron and say, Ian and say, Ian, I promise you one thing. You'll never have cancer. I can't do that. But I can promise you one thing. If you'll never take a drink of alcohol, you'll never be an alcoholic. Oh, but we're being told that alcoholism is a disease. Well, let me tell you, it was a sin before it was ever a disease, okay? And so guard your heart in every way, and not only for what's good for me, but I have to think, what's good for other people? And I want to try to make decisions. I want to make decisions with the money God's given me, not only for, for my needs and my family, 
But God, what can I do with some of this to bless other people? And so you're always guarding your heart. You're, you're not wanting money, sex, food, entertainment, anything to get into your heart where that's, who, that's a vital part of me. Okay? So guard your heart. And the one, one of the greatest ways to do that is you stay in the Word. You see what the Word of God says. You look at something like homosexuality. From the history of the world until recently, marriage has always been understood in every culture between a man and a woman. And now, 64% of your generation thinks homosexual marriage is okay. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, we don't hate those people. We love them. It's not a matter of hating them. It's a matter, are we going to hold to what the Bible says, or are we going to go with what the culture says? You know, the day may come, some of you may be spend some time in jail because you hold to what the Word of God says. And so we have to evaluate everything in the light of the Scriptures. Well, my professor says this. Okay, go back. But what does the Bible say? The revealed Word of God. What did God reveal to let us know? Because God has the very, very best for you. And God wants you to spend eternity with Him. And so if you will trust Him with your life, invite Him into your life, and then try to live according to what His Word says, and with His Spirit and His Word to guide you, you'll have a great life. You know, Peter came in Matthew 10. Uh, uh, 10, 28 through 31. And he said to Jesus, Behold, uh, well, first of all, Peter said, we, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, uh, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left uh, houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. And so Peter came along one day and said, God, we left everything to follow you. And Jesus made it very, very clear. You're going to receive so much more in this life now if you'll follow me. And you're going to have eternity in heaven. You know, I just started memorizing a verse uh, this past week. In uh, Romans 2, 4 through 6, and I think I pretty well got it, but uh, he starts out by saying, but God having, but God uh, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and set us in the heavenly places in Christ. Now notice this, so that, in the future ages, he could show the surpassing grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So God in his great mercy, and what is his mercy? It's so you don't get what you really deserve. And in his great love for us, so that what's going to happen in future ages, God is going to show the surpassing grace he had in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's going to be a fabulous life when we get to go be with the Lord. You remember one thing. The Christian life is the best life there is. And the closer you walk with the Lord, the better it is. And the longer you walk with the Lord, the better it is. And so I just want to challenge you. Now, I want to close by saying this. You know, I've talked with you a little bit about Scripture memory. <clears throat> And I'm finding as I get a little older, some of the verses begin to slip. I really work at trying to 
keep my verses, but I remember John Crawford saying one time, and John was up in his late 80s, and he said, you know, you ought to ver memorize a verse a week. And when you get out of school especially, if you can memorize a verse a week, it'll be amazing what God will do. And if a day comes that that's too many, like some weeks I may be getting a little behind, so I may skip a week. That's okay. So I may do one every two weeks for a while. And he said, even if a day comes and that's too many, and you can do one a month, you still get 12 new verses a year. And he said, even if you have to knock off for Thanksgiving and Christmas, you still, a whole month, you still get 10 new verses a year. Don't ever quit trying to renew your mind. And the greatest way to renew your mind is reading the Bible, reading. You know, I know many of you, while you're in college, you only read what you have to read. You know what you're going to do when you get out of school? You're only going to read what you have to read. You know, the person that will not read and the person that cannot read come out at the same place, ignorant. You ought to be reading Christian books. Always have something that you're reading because you always need to be learning and growing and it'll be amazing what God does in your life. Now, God made a way for our wicked hearts to be changed and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And once that happens, you guard that heart in every way you possibly can. Getting God's word into your life, retraining your thinking so you're thinking like God because God created you and he had good in mind for you. Okay? Now let me pray and we'll do whatever else we need to do. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for what you did for us. Father, we deserve to go to hell because we rebelled against you. We've sinned. We've all done things we know are wrong. But you loved us enough to send your son Jesus. And Lord, when I think of the horror that Jesus went through, when they arrested him, <clears throat> probably put him in a dungeon, nobody was really concerned about where he was warm or how he spent that night. The next day they bring him on trial. And then even the disciples that he had spent three years with, Peter denied him three times. All the disciples fled his friends left. They mocked him. They spit on him. They beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they'd take a reed and beat those thorns down into his skull. And then when they, Pilate knew he was innocent, but he had him flogged, terribly beaten, and then prayed it out, carrying the cross, nailed to that, dropped in that hole, and there he, he suffered. And not only that, but the, the fellowship he had always had with you because you poured out your wrath on sin so that we didn't have to pay for our own sin. And he died for us. And Father, we thank you for that. And he rose again. And now he wants to change all of us to be like him. Father, we want to be more like your son. So we thank you for what you provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat>